This morning we're going to be talking about God making all things new with the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21. In chapter 20, it closed like this. God resurrects all the wicked people of all time, judges them, throws them into the lake of fire. Throws death and Hades into the lake of fire. And then chapter 21 starts like this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no sea. There was no more sea. That makes me sad. I like the sea. But there is no more sea. So this means one of two things. There is no more sea on the planet, or it's talking about the Mediterranean Sea. Because usually when it mentions the sea, it's talking about the local sea. And the closest one would be the Mediterranean. So I'm hoping that's what it's talking about. But I like lakes and rivers too, and I know there's going to be rivers at least. But I'm kind of thinking, God, no more sea. I like the ocean. I guess I'm going to have to get my sea house now and get all the sea taken care of. Verse 5 says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. All right, so this last week, I'm working on my computer. I am a Mac guy, as you can see, but I used to be a Windows guy. And one of the reasons I went from Windows to Mac is because Mike converted me. <laughs> but the reason I was willing to be converted is in part because of the blue screen of death. Yeah, yeah you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're just typing along, and all of a sudden, your computer just goes blue. Blah. It's like, what? What did I do? I didn't do anything different now than I've done for the last hundred times. Why did it freeze? And then you'd be working on some software, and it would just glitch. So I went over to Mac. Mac doesn't do that nearly as often, but it does do it. So this last week, it doesn't give you the blue screen of death. It gives you the spinning wheel of death, the little rainbow wheel. It's so cute. It just spins, and your mouse won't work, and your keyboard won't work, but the rainbow spins. Yelling at it doesn't work. Shaking it doesn't work. Throwing it out the window never works. <laughs> so what do I do? I can't even, you know, try to hit the buttons that make everything freeze so you can restart. That didn't work. I was totally frozen out. So I know the trick. You hold down the power button. 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1. You just hold it down until it all shuts down. And then you turn it on and it starts over. Now, sometimes, Macs and Windows, sometimes they'll say, hey, you shut down with a problem, didn't you? Would you like me to restart those programs that were giving you a problem? Or do you want to start off in, like, safe mode or something like that? It's like, yeah, restart the programs that were giving me the problem. Yeah, do that. I never do. But in Revelation chapter 21, this verse actually made me think of that. Then he sat on the throne and said, I make all things new. It's like God's going to hit the restart button on planet Earth. We're starting to see <laughs> the spinning rainbow of death. <laughs> and our planet is malfunctioning, in case you hadn't noticed. Almost every day you wake up and you're like, oh, how could it get worse? And then the next day it's worse. And we're getting to the point where we just need to reboot. We need to start from scratch, start all over again. And God's going to do it again. But in life right now, do you ever wish you could just do a, a reboot? It's like, man, I wish I could do that day over again. Well, not that day. I wish I could never do that day in the first place. I wish I could have done the last 20 years 
differently. <laughs> restart, restart, restart. Well, in a sense, there is a restart button. His mercies are new every morning. Don't dwell on the past. Forget about it. The past is history. The future is mystery. The right now, it's a gift, and that's why they call it the present. So don't worry about the past. Repent of any wrongs you might have done, and know that God has forgotten about them too, and start fresh. You can do that right now. You just pray to Jesus, Jesus, I have been messing up so badly. Confess your sins. I have done this, I have done this, I have done this. I have not been worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made for me, and I am so sorry. I want to start over now. Now, some of you are saying, yes, Steve, I did that six times last year. Well, good thing when Peter said, how many times do I have to forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, up to 70 times seven. God will forgive you the seventh time, the eighth time, the ninth time, as long as you're sincere in your remorse and repentance. You can hit the restart button with Jesus. Well, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. We have to go back to Peter to actually see how he's going to do that. There's actually some details as to how God's going to make all things new. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read selections from verses 7 through 10. But the heavens and the earth that now exist are being preserved by the command of God in order to be destroyed by fire. The Lord is not slow to do what he has promised, as some think. Instead, he is patient with you because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants all to turn away from their sins. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will disappear with a shrill noise. The heavenly bodies will burn up and be destroyed, and the earth with everything in it will vanish. In a sense, a few thousand years ago, God hit the reset button with the flood of Noah. Wiped out almost everything. Everything that breathes except for whatever was on the ark. Eight humans, a pair of almost every animal, and sevens of the clean ones. That was a major reset button. But what God did is he cleansed the earth and started over with some of the people from the old earth. God's not going to cleanse the earth again. He's going to totally destroy it by fire. And not just the earth, the entire universe. Basically, God's going to recreate everything. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He said, behold, I make all things new. Verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I want to point out one word right now. This one right here. You notice it's not Cairo. It's not Moscow. It's not Washington or Beijing. It's not London. It is Jerusalem. God is not done with the Jewish people. God says in Jeremiah chapter 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He says this to the nation of Israel. I have loved you with an everlasting love. In fact, if you read on through the book of Jeremiah, it says that. And then it goes on to say that if the stars cease their shining and the waves of the ocean cease their roaring, then will I be done with the Jewish people for all that they have done to me. So God is basically saying, as long as the earth exists, the Jewish people will exist. Now we just find out they're going to exist forever in the new Jerusalem. 
In Revelation chapter 21, we see Jerusalem enshrined forever as the capital of God's eternal kingdom. Why do I make this point? Because I did some research a few years back, just quick research, and I came up with about 70% of those who call themselves Christians believe in this concept called replacement theology. Replacement theology is a theology that says this, the Jewish people rejected Jesus, therefore Jesus rejected the Jewish people, took all the promises he promised to ancient Israel and transferred them over to the church, and now they are the church's promises. So every time you read anything in the Bible that's a promise to the Jewish people, just assume that's for the church. That's replacement theology, and most of the so-called Christian world holds, holds to that theology. I don't. Think it through with me for a minute. I'm going to do a little illustration. Smartphone. Ted, I've noticed your phone's not that good. <laughs> so I want to upgrade you. This is yours to keep Yay. from here on out. Isn't that nice? I changed my mind. Here, it's yours. I just said it's his to keep from here on out. And now I said, no, I changed my mind. It's yours. What does that make me? A liar. If God makes promises to the Jewish people and says, no, never mind, now they're the churches, it's the same exact thing. It's, it's a lie. You've got to think these things through. And if God can tell the Jewish people, you will be mine forever, and then not, what does that do to John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Not, maybe, maybe not. God keeps his promises. And we see that in just that one word, Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem. God is not done with the Jewish people. He promised them an eternal city, and this is where he fulfills it in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. And now we go to verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his God, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We looked at that word dwell and tabernacle. But the cool thing about this verse is we're going to have a new Jerusalem, but we've had a Jerusalem. We're going to have a new earth, but we've had an earth. We're going to get new bodies, but we've had a body. We've never had God dwelling with us before. That is totally new. You look through the Bible, you'll never see that God lived with people. Jesus became human for a few years and stayed with people, but he withheld his glory during that time. This is God the Father saying, I'm going to be with you guys forever. Pretty cool. As we'll learn next week, when we look at the details of the New Jerusalem, it says they don't need a son there because the radiance of God and the Lamb will lighten the place. So cool. God will dwell with them together. Well, as I, forever. While I was reading through this, I noticed, jumped out, four things we're going to have in this new eternity that God's going to give us. We're going to have the new heaven. We're going to have the new earth. We're going to have the new Jerusalem. And we'll have God living with us. God living with us. Reminds me of a promise Jesus made 2,000 years ago, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's worth memorizing because it'll put a smile on your face and joy in your heart when you're feeling down. Jesus said to his disciples, 
let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be. That's the context for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way. The way to what? Eternal life in heaven, right here, where God dwells with us forever. Beauty. So we're going to have these four things in the afterlife, but there's four things we won't have, and I'm sure you're not going to miss any of them. Here's the no mores. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Four no mores. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. I'm all right with that. I cannot wait for that day to come. And that's the one I'm most excited about, right there. Because this one leads to this one. So that one's taken care of in this one. And even though I don't like this one, to me, this one's worse than this one. Is it to you too? Yeah. And this one, I don't really care. That's the one. That's the one. No more sorrow. I can't imagine. You know, you come into this world crying. It used to be the doctor would smack your bottom. It's like, hey, welcome to earth. Bam! And it goes downhill from there. <laughs> We're in a world of sorrow, but not the new world. Let me talk to you about death for a minute. Nobody likes death. Death is a bad thing. It's the enemy of God. But for the believer, it does something good. We sin. The reason we sin is because we are sin. We can't help it. We can't help the bad thoughts. We can't help the bad behaviors. It's what we do. It's what we are. We repent, Jesus comes into our life, and we begin to take some control. But we don't take full control. Our redemption has started, but it's not been completed. And it can't be completed until this body of sin is done away with, says Romans. This body in Corinthians. This body is tied to sin. So we can't be fully redeemed until this body is done. So he'll give us a new body with no sin connection at all. So even though that's a bad thing, it's a transition to a good thing. That was verse 4, Revelation 21, verse 4. Let's take a look at verses 5 and 6. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him thirsts. Verses 5, 6, and 7, which I'll read in a moment, have three main points that I want to share with you. Point number one, it is done. No more prophecy. No more change. It should say, and they lived happily ever after. That's pretty much what it is done means. It's done. New heaven, new earth, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. It's done. They live happily ever after. Three powerful words right there, wouldn't you say? And I found it interesting. You know, just a minute ago I said, our redemption started, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he redeemed us. Don't get me wrong. There's no way we're going back. 
but we still live in a sinful body. He finishes or consummates this redemption at the resurrection of our bodies, and then when it is done. But when he died for our sins, what did he say on the cross? It is finished. And now at the end of the age, what does the, the Lord say? It is done. Redemption starts and ends with basically the same words. It's done. Second point. He says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. God's gift of salvation is open to all. Now, a lot of you say, yeah, Steve, I know that. But there are a lot of people that don't believe that. There are two primary camps. There's the Calvinism camp. And there's the Arminian camp. The Arminian camp is known as the camp of free will. People get to choose to accept God or reject God. And it's also known for the side that you can lose your salvation. It's known for that too. The Calvinist side is known for you definitely can't lose your salvation, but you don't have a choice in getting it either. You're predestined. And those who aren't predestined, too bad for you. I don't like either of those camps. They both got something going for it, and they got something not going for it. And there's more, and there's shades of gray in between. They have their different extremes. People will often come up to me and ask me if I'm a Calvinist or an Arminian. They don't always use those words because they don't know which words to use. But when a Calvinist asks me if I'm a Calvinist or not, if I believe in predestination, they ask me which one I am. I say, I'm whichever one God predestined me to be. So, if I'm a Calvinist, because I use the word predestined, I must be a Calvinist, but Calvinists know there are Arminians, and if there are Arminians, God must have predestined them to be Arminian, which means he forced them not to be Calvinists. And I, so I don't like to answer that question, because it gets you nowhere. I don't believe a person can lose their salvation, because it's not theirs to lose. It's God's to lose, and I've taught quite thoroughly on that in the past, and I have lessons on that online, which you can check out. But I do believe that a person has the right to choose God or reject God. Didn't he just say, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to, the, to him who thirsts? How about Revelation twenty-two seventeen? Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. We do have a will. We have free will. We get to choose whether we want to follow God or not. That's the implication of John 3.16 also. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world might be saved. Some of my Calvinist friends, and by the way, I do have Calvinist friends. I'm just not Calvinist, but I'm not Arminian either. Some of my Calvinist friends say the word world means the elect. And I'm like, uh, no, it doesn't. You're just changing that to fit in with your theology. It means the world. Well, I know that doesn't fit into your theology, and that's why I'm not a Calvinist. But the Arminians, they have some problems too, and I'm not an Arminian either. How about I'm just a Biblicist? I believe that the Bible says we have a choice. 
I also believe the Bible says he predestines and elects people. You say, Steve, those are incompatible. Not my problem. Above my pay grade. I'm not as smart as God. Given. Both are in the scripture, though. So I'm good. I'll let God deal with the, with the details. I just know he's given me a choice. He gives you a choice. And he asks us to breach the gospel to every creature. Why? To give them a choice. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, where do I stand? I stand firmly with God, and I'll let him do whatever he wants to do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I told you there were three points. First one, it is done. The second we just looked at, God will save anyone who comes to him, anyone who thirsts. And the third is in verse 7, which we hadn't looked at yet, so we'll look at it now. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. He who overcomes. This word is used throughout Scripture. An overcomer is a Christian. A Christian is an overcomer. You cannot have a Christian that is not an overcomer. And you cannot have an overcomer that is not a Christian. So they go hand in hand. Overcomers, throughout, as you read through the context, they, they overcome by choosing the next world over this world. They overcome by choosing Jesus even in the face of death. And overcomers inherit the universe. Romans 8, 16 and 17. Notice it in the verse I just read. It says, shall inherit all things. Then in Romans, take a look, it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Heirs to the universe. It's all going to be yours. You're going to inherit everything. It says, if indeed we suffer with him. It's not saying it's a work salvation. It is saying it's one way you can qualify whether somebody's a believer or not. I sent you out a blog this last week. I don't know how many of you got it. I hope you will get onto my email list so I can send you blogs. And I talked about the, the runner's wall. For any of you who've ever done long distance running, here's what happens. You hit a spot. Let's say you, you can run five miles, no problem. But when you hit the three-mile mark, as an example, all of a sudden you're just exhausted. You're fatigued. You really, oh, I thought I could run five. This is, oh, I got, you're, everything within you is screaming for you to stop. You can't breathe. Your lungs hurt. Your legs hurt. Your heart is thumping. You're at your end. But if you don't stop, you get through the, that's called the wall, by the way. But if you don't stop, you just, I don't know, you marine through. You just do it. Next thing you know, you're feeling better, and you're breathing smooth. And you said, man, I could do this all day. And you pick up your pace. You say, I'm feeling great. It's the wall. And all runners know about the wall because all runners have encountered it. I don't know what other example to give for those of you who don't run. I used to run. I knew the wall. My wall now is about 20 feet. <laughs> used to run. 
sometimes in faith you hit a wall. You're like, I don't know, God, this is just, this is too much. Just can't handle it anymore. If indeed we suffer with him, just get through the wall. Hang in there. Hang in there. And then as I pointed out in my, in my blog, yeah, we may suffer with God. It happens. We've got people in the Middle East right now being executed, crucified, because they won't renounce their faith in Jesus. But you notice they're not renouncing their faith in Jesus. Wow. Wow. They're overcomers. We will overcome. I pointed that out to you in Scripture. He who has began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He said that. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. But those who don't overcome, they weren't really there in the first place. Now, that's, uh, that's Revelation 21, but there's two more big topics in the chapter, and I don't have time to get to them this morning. I do have time to get to one of them. Um, and next week we're going to look at... So the two topics are those who don't overcome and the New Jerusalem in detail. So next week, the New Jerusalem in detail. Now, those who don't overcome, introduced in verse 8. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is what it looks like to not overcome. Most of these are moral things, you'll notice. It even says the word. These are all moral. But some of them really don't deal with morality. They deal with something else, especially those first two words. The cowardly and unbelieving. Well, we all know unbelieving means. But why are people in trouble for being scared. I wanted to look up that Greek word to see if I could learn something further from it, which, which I did. I learned that the word only occurs three times in the whole New Testament. Here's one, cowardly. And the other two times are in two different Gospels talking about the same story. Jesus is sleeping in a boat. You remember? And a storm comes up. Those storms on the Sea of Galilee, they are deadly. And the boat starts to, the disciples think they're going to capsize. Jesus is still sleeping. So they're scared to death. They wake him up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? And he wakes up and he says, be still. And the storm stops. Wow. One of the greatest miracles in the Bible right there. And they're just, they're amazed because they're not sure who Jesus is yet at this point. They know he's an awesome prophet but wow, who's ever done that before? That is amazing. And they ended up worshiping him, worshiping him. But he said something to them at that point. He said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? That word fearful, same word. And I found it interesting. He says, why are you so fearful? Why don't you have any faith? No faith, unbelieving. They are fearful and unbelieving. Those were the two words right there. Fearful and unbelieving. Same exact word. So they go hand in hand. This kind of cowardice is the kind of cowardice that leads people to deny the Lord. Versus the people right now who will stand firm for the Lord even in the face of execution. 
It's the overcomers versus the non-overcomers. The overcomers are not cowardly. The non-overcomers are. So I learned that these two words, cowardly and unbelieving, go together every time in Scripture. And it makes me, makes me understand that fear is the friend of faithlessness. Those who overcome, overcome their fear. And they trust God through their fear. So there's two possible outcomes with fear. And with this, I'll finish. There's the outcome for those who do not overcome, the non-overcomers, fear, F-E-A-R, forget everything and run. Forget everything, even God, run. But the overcomers, no, no, they have a different way of dealing with fear. They face everything and rise to the occasion. They stand firm, like these servicemen right here. Fearful doesn't mean your heart doesn't flutter and you wish you weren't somewhere else. Fearful just means you make the right decision despite the fact that your heart is fluttering and you wish you were somewhere else. What kind of person does it take to run into enemy fire? You think they're scared? Oh, yeah, they're scared, but they're still doing it. Why? Because they believe it's the right thing to do. Bad guys over there must be stopped. I'm going to stop them. They might kill me. They might, but they still got to be stopped. Let's go get them, guys. Gals. Gals is pretty cool because uh, I read something in the Washington Post or Times recently, some Washington magazine, said um, ISIS is fleeing from female soldiers because according to their beliefs, if they kill them, they'll go to hell. I'm like, man, I just solved the entire Middle East problem just like that. <laughs> just get all the women over there with AR-15s and we're done. <laughs> Drop some leaflets that say all of our pilots are female. War's over. Because these people really believe what they believe. They believe if they kill you in jihad, they go to heaven. And apparently if a woman kills them, they go to hell. So let's give them some assisted suicide or reason to fear fighting. There are overcomers and there are non-overcomers. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Maybe you're thinking, Steve, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm one of the non-overcomers. I've been pretty fearful. I, I won't stand up for my faith. I won't tell people I'm a believer. I, well, I, I'd like to say I slip into sin, but really I dive into it head first. Maybe I'm not an overcomer. Well, aren't you glad there's a reset button? That's okay. You can become an overcomer starting right now. You can press the reset button. Say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. And please save me. I know you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. And I want to follow you from here on out. Please help me to be an overcomer. And if you can make that commitment, you're good to go. Regardless of what these guys say, you're good to go. One more thing before I let you go. The key to overcoming is mentioned in 1 John chapter 5. Listen. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe? Amen. Amen. Do, one, do one thing this week. Go home and ask God to give you an opportunity to share your faith. But Steve, that's scary. I know. Do it anyway. You believe with me? The little wheel of death is spinning? We've got to get these people saved. We have something that they need. We know Jesus. They need Jesus. They may not even know what they need Jesus, but they need Jesus. Make it easy on yourself. Say, hey, next Sunday, would you be my guest at church? And afterwards, I'll treat you to lunch. And if it happens to be Fellowship Sunday that you invite them, you get to treat them cheap. <laughs>